At Woodside Bible Church, we gather weekly to pursue God by studying His Word together. How can Christians find the motivation necessary to overcome the challenges of our modern culture and continue the mission that God has called us to? In Revelation, All Things New, we'll discover a glorious description of the end of all things and the great kingdom to come. It's here we find motivation for our present challenges. Join us as we look to the end and find hope and strength for our mission in the present. Good morning. Great to see you here today. Now, I am going to begin today's sermon by (laughs) talking about myself. So here we go. Not because I'm any more important than any of you, but because of the past couple of months, I've been doing the very thing that I'm going to be talking about and encouraging you to consider today. You see, a few weeks ago, I uh, stood on those steps right there, and I told you, my White Lake family, that I would be going on a sabbatical for a couple of months this summer. Nick mentioned this just a few moments ago, and uh, you know, for those of you who were not here that particular Sunday, it might have brought some uh, strange ideas, and for those of you who have been here, I have to tell you, it has brought many questions, none bigger than this one. Are you coming back? (laughs) The answer is yes, I'm coming back. I'll be back in September. (laughs) You see, on a sabbatical, what I'll be doing is I'll be pursuing spiritual, physical, emotional, and mental refreshment. That's what I'm going to be seeking to do as I step away from my pastoral responsibilities. Now, the reason I bring that up to you is uh, it's quite simple. In order to do that, you have to be planning. You have to be preparing for those times away. It's not just I disappear and I go sit on my couch and I watch Tiger baseball every day. That's not what it looks like, although that would be great. But Uh, What I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be doing some reading, and so I uh, have selected a series of books that I'm going to be digging into. I've organized some activities that I'm going to be pursuing both with my family as well as with my friends. And of course, there's going to be the spiritual disciplines. I'm going to be practicing those spiritual disciplines throughout this time period. Now, Candidly, uh, I've shared this with a few close friends, I have great anticipation about this sabbatical. I have great anticipation because of what I believe that God will do in that time of Sabbath rest. Before I go any further, I realize that sabbaticals are not kind of the norm for most adults. Most of us who have professional careers do not not get the opportunity to have extended Sabbath rest. And so some of you are going, well, I don't even know what you're talking about. I can't connect with that at all because that's not my experience. Well, here's something that does connect with every single person here today. And it is this. We're all planning for something. We are all preparing for something. Perhaps this summer you have a class reunion. Maybe this summer you have a medical procedure that is on the calendar. Perhaps you have a family vacation planned. Maybe a job interview. Whatever it is, maybe a a big move. 
whatever it is, each and every one of us here today have something ahead that we are planning for, that we are preparing for. But here's the question. Here's the question that I want all of us to consider today. What are we preparing for with eager anticipation? What is it that we have this anticipation, this excitement for, that we can't wait to experience it? See, today we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that I believe will give every person worshiping here today, worshiping with us online, I believe it will give everyone something to look forward to with great anticipation. We're going to find out what that is after we pray. Let's pray together. Gracious God, you are holy You are worthy. You are righteous. You are sovereign. We could stay in this moment and do nothing but communicate your attributes. That's how significant and how worthy you are of our praise today. And yet, God, we come today as broken people, as flawed people living in a flawed world, And so, God, we need to hear from you today. We need you to meet with us through the truth that is your word. We need you to to show us things, to teach us things. And, God, we ask that you would do that through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, some of us come in here, and we literally stumbled in here. It has been a very difficult season in our lives. Others of us are walking in joy and peace, and it is a wonderful time. God, wherever you find our hearts today, would you speak to us? Would you give us this anticipation? So God, we need eyes to see your truth to do that. We need ears to hear your truth, and then humble hearts before you. May you find us faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church family, for the past few months, we have been reading and we've been reflecting on a portion of the book of Revelation. Now, that means together what we've been doing is we've been looking at apocalyptic writing. We've been reading things with a lot of vivid imagery. And we have heard all kinds of wild stories and wild details about the end times. That's why I began this series by referring to the book of Revelation as both wonderful and rather mysterious, because that's what it is. And that's what we've been reading as we've been digging into these chapters in uh, or near the end of the book. Now, I also began the book by um, sharing that it would be my desire to focus on one central thing that we might be able to focus on the big picture, that we would not get all caught up in the fanciful language, that we would not get overwhelmed by all of the imagery that we found in the text, that it would not overwhelm us, and that we would not get enamored about timelines and predictions 
about what many people say about the end times. Instead, what I asked you to be considering and what I encouraged you to remember is the big picture of Revelation. So here comes the quiz. How many of you remember what is the big picture? God wins. That's it. I'm going to have all of us say that one more time. God wins. That is to say, that's a very simple phrase, but that is to say that Jesus will one day return and he will destroy evil. He will rescue believers and he will, in fact, transform creation. That's what he will do. Now, God wins is a very simple phrase, and over the course of these past few weeks, we've looked in far greater depth and meaning in the book of Revelation during the series beyond that kind of simple idea, and yet it is that big picture truth that God wins where you and I find unity. That's where the body of Christ finds unity and hope for our future. You see, for all who have a personal faith in Christ. The reality that God wins is what motivates us and propels us forward, not only as we read the book of Revelation, but specifically in our lives. It's what moves us forward. So we can truly rejoice knowing that sin and death and Satan will all be defeated. That's where we say amen. That's right. Because that will happen. We can have genuine hope because God is restoring a new heaven and a new earth for his people. Again, amen. And here's the best part. We can rejoice because God himself will dwell with his people. Those things are great. Sin and death are gone. Satan is gone. A new heavens and a new earth is coming. But the pinnacle of that experience is that God will be there and he will dwell with you and with me and all who are in Christ. Jesus will be there. See, it's these truths that lead us to this one heart posture that believers can now live in anticipation of Jesus' return. You and I can live with that in anticipation. For all who are in Christ today, we can look upon the future with eager anticipation. And to see why this is true, let's grab our Bibles. We're going to turn to the last chapter in God's Word. We're going to be picking it up at verse 6. Revelation chapter 22 Verse 6. Now remember, God is giving this message to John in the context of a vision or a dream, and here's what John writes for us. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, (laughs) I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. 
Continuing on in verse 9, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and the prophets and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. For the time is near. It is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. That's where we're going to stop for now. Church family, there's so much for us to consider when we look at that text, but none are more important than those first two statements we just read. These words are trustworthy and they are true. You know, often when I pray in that pastoral prayer moment, I reference the fact that God's word is true. It's truth. And in a culture that is casting aside truth, that's why it is so very important. These words are trustworthy and they are true. And then the second phrase, blessed is the one who keeps these words. The words that God has given to John, friends, are a promise. They're a promise for God's people. Let me put it another way. You can count on what you're reading because it is true. The scripture you have is, in fact, true. It's going to happen, and you can trust it. You can trust it. What's told on these pages is a promise for all who believe upon Jesus that gives us hope. It gives you and me hope. And it is with this promise from God that comes a call to action for you and for me. There's a call to action in that text because John just got the information directly from God. Because these words come from the one who told the prophets, it's not just this small piece here. It goes, it transcends time. And because the angel affirms their reality, because all of those things are true, All who believe God's word should keep God's word. I'm going to say that again. All who believe in Christ should keep God's word. You see, this is the first of three real practical ways that believers can live with anticipation. We can be excited about the return of Christ. But while we wait... While we're in that in-between time, we should keep his word. You and I are called to keep his word. That means we should read it. We should learn it. We should reflect upon it. We should keep it. We should guard it. We should do a lot of things connected to the word of God. So believe her. How are you doing? How are you doing when it comes to reading it and learning it and reflecting upon it and keeping it? You see, this is the way that you and I prepare with eager anticipation for Christ's return. We read the word. We learn the word. We reflect upon the word. We keep 
God's word. Now, candidly, this is a spiritual discipline that every Christ follower should be about. I mean, how can we know God? How can we trust God? How can we know God's will for our lives without knowing and reading and learning and reflecting upon his word? How can we do that? You know, I began today's message by telling you that I'm taking a sabbatical. Just want to remind you of that. And one important part of my time away will, in fact, be reading God's word faithfully and consistently. I'm going to be spending my summer in the Psalms. Some of you might be thinking, well, of course, you're on sabbatical. You can do that. You're supposed to. You're a pastor, after all. You're supposed to be reading God's word. That's true. But here's what's also true. I don't read, I don't learn, I don't reflect, I don't keep God's word simply because of my vocation. I do that, I strive to do those things, and you should too because you're a follower of Christ. That's our call If you were a follower of Jesus today, God desires this of you, that you would read his word, that you would learn his word, that you would reflect upon his word, and that you would keep his word. So important. Now, let's return to the text and continue on in Revelation. Uh, We're going to pick it up at verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each of what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates." For outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I want to summarize that section for us as we continue on today looking at Revelation chapter 22. I want to continue and kind of put some parameters on what we just read, verses 12 through 15, and it is a phrase, faithfulness. Faithfulness. You see, throughout Revelation, we have read repeatedly that Jesus is the Alpha and he is the the Omega. He is the beginning and he is the end. He was in the beginning and he is in the end. And throughout chapters 20, 21, and 22, what we see is that Jesus is present in many scenes. If you have a Bible like mine, much of what we've read today is red letters. That means that comes from Jesus. That means that Jesus is presently at work. In spite of what you see in our world, you turn on the news, you go to your favorite website, it does not look good. Let's just be honest with each other. It seems like we are moving further and further away from truth. And yet Jesus is at work. 
Jesus is presently at work. You see, multiple times in our series, I've also said this phrase, there is the now and there is the not yet. That's what we're living in the middle of. This means that Jesus has, in fact, established his rule and his reign. That has happened. That's the now. But we're living in this middle section. It hasn't been fully realized. That's the not yet. Practically speaking, this means that he is currently active in bringing his kingdom. He started it, he's moving it forward, but we're not quite there yet. And this leads us to a really important question. What does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? What does that mean today as we sit here in the 21st century America? What does it look like? It means that you and I are called to walk in faithfulness. You and I are called to walk in the ways of Jesus. And the imagery here that he is using, that John is using, is the exhortation to wash your robe. This is beautiful. Figurative language for having our sins forgiven for the cleansing of our souls that takes place when we come to the cross, for the spiritual atonement that covers the penalty that my sin and that your sin deserves. There's cleansing. And those whose robes or lives are not clean, what happens to them? It's a harsh reality. But what our text says is they're left outside. They're left outside. They have no place in the new city. You see, the new heavens and the new earth, the dwelling place of a holy and righteous God, this is only for those whose names are found in the book of life. Only for those who trust in Jesus. Listen to Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 14. It says, People from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. They have washed their robes, and they have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They've done that in the blood of the Lamb. And this is why the second way that believers can live with anticipation of the return of Christ when we wash our robes, when God's people come to Jesus for the washing of our robes. Now, for the believer, I want us to think about what it looks like in John 14, 15. If you love me, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. You've been washed, and you will walk in that way. You will do what I've commanded you to do as believers, as followers of Christ. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. For the unbeliever, this is a reminder that you need to be forgiven. This is an invitation. 
This is an invitation to come to Jesus, to come to Christ in faith, to turn from your sin in something called repentance, to leave it behind and to run to Jesus and trust him for your salvation. That's how you will have a clean robe. But let me make this clear. Nobody can earn or clean their own robe. You can't earn it. You can't do it. We're all dirty. We're all stained. We all need the cleansing that comes only in Jesus Christ. So church, let Jesus clothe you. Let Jesus clothe you with a robe that is washed clean by his grace. Now, let's look at the final portion of the book of Revelation. We're going to pick it up at verse 16. I, Jesus, I have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. So I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone who adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are described in this book. That's Old Testament stuff. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of the prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which is also described in this book. For he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And John closes out, when the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. That's it. That's the conclusion of Revelation. That is the close of the canon of Scripture. Right there. What we just read... What we just looked at together captures the whole of history. Captures the whole of history. Look back at verse 16. This is where Jesus says, I, Jesus, I am the root and the descendant of David. I am the bright and morning star. This is how Jesus describes himself as both the Alpha and the Omega. He is both the root and the offspring of David. Whoa. Jesus is David's offspring, and he is David's Lord. That's what that text means. And then the one speaking reveals that he is the fulfillment of another Old Testament prophecy as he is the bright and morning star. This is the one who comes out of Israel who will bring dawn a new day of light. That's what's found in Jesus and that is what's found in Jesus' words. And in those words are two invitations. First, the spirit and the bride come together and they say, 
come. <laughs> they say, come. Now remember, the Holy Spirit is the one who indwells believers. Collectively, we as believers make up the bride of Christ. And so this cry comes with an invitation. Come, you are invited. Come. And then, if that right there is not amazing enough, if you and I cannot look at that text and be like, wow, that's incredible, then we get to this portion. Because here's what's amazing. The invitation then gets multiplied. Let the one who hears say come. You see, those who come and find their thirst quenched, those who come and find everything they are looking for, they are now the ones doing the inviting. They're the ones offering the invitation. I love this. I love this picture because the invitation sounds a lot like the fulfillment of the words of the prophet Isaiah. Listen to what Isaiah says. He says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Church, this is an invitation for all to experience new life in Christ, to experience the eternity of the kingdom of God. And so in eager anticipation, we come to the Lord. We come. All who are thirsty, you're invited. You're invited to come to the Lord. Now let's get real. As we close out our series, as we close out our look at Revelation, let's get real. This sounds pretty amazing, doesn't it? If we're honest with each other, it sounds kind of too good to be true. And this is why many of us in our world today run to everything except this truth. They run to everything except Jesus. We create idols out of our jobs and we sell our soul and we give everything we have to our jobs, to building that career. We make an idol out of our bank accounts. Man, I got to keep working so I can build it and build it and build it. We make an idol out of our relationships. We make an idol even out of our adventures. Now, none of those things are bad. They're all good, and in fact, we idolize them because they do, in fact, give us something. But the reality is this. They all leave us wanting more. That's because only Jesus fulfills. Only Jesus gives us peace. Only Jesus provides hope in this life and in the life to come. So White Lake family, may I encourage you with the words of Jesus. And it is my hope and my prayer that it stirs an anticipation deep within your soul. Listen to these words. Surely I am coming soon. 
Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.